Hello and welcome to 2019 and Tech Demand Weekly. I'm Charles Commons and in the spirit of the new year we're using today's episode to look ahead to the content marketing trends of 2019 with Stephanie Stahl of the Content Marketing Institute. It all depends on how good that video was in the first place. So if it's really great, people are more inclined to want to go back and watch it. To print or not to print, uh, it's a question that a lot of brands ask themselves. So you have to choose the channels that are best for your audience and really not try to be anywhere and everywhere, which I think is a mistake a lot of marketers make. Stephanie Stahl is the General Manager of the Content Marketing Institute and recently authored the blog post 85 Plus Expert Predictions for Content Marketing in 2019. 2018 will probably be best remembered for the year that marketeers accepted social media as the place to post their content. Video became a must-use medium and smart tech voice assistants started to change the way people search for their content online. To start our conversation, I asked Stephanie if she thinks these trends are set to continue. Uh, For sure. Yeah, you encapsulated that quite well. Um, Certainly three big trends uh, in 2018. Uh, Social media was definitely a place to post content um, with both organic and paid approaches. You know, it's no secret. I'm sure you've seen the research that social media usage as a whole is actually down. There was a firm called uh, Edison Research that I think tracked it at about 4% drop in social media usage nationwide this year. And granted, that's not a lot, but that's after so many years of growth. So that might be a tiny wake-up call. That's not to suggest that it's not a great place to, to post content. It still is. But like websites that are jammed with bells and whistles and flashing lights, you know, social media sites have become a bit distracting too, because there's so much stuff there, good and bad. So with all that noise, it's sometimes difficult to find the things that matter or resonate or make you feel something. So, you know, brands have to keep that, um, you know, front and center as well. And and I think many are are investing in some of the, the other sites, you know, other than Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, they're also looking at Snapchat and Instagram now. So that's where young people tend to spend their time. But all of that means that the pressure is on that the content you're posting really matters, that it's worthy of someone reading it, that it helps you spark a conversation or build trust and ultimately get a new customer. So I definitely expect to see that continuing. Same with video. Wow. Video was just off the charts in 2018. Everything from one minute snippets on social media to live streaming at events and also in-depth documentary style shows. Saw quite a few of those too. And I think video just has a special way of showcasing the human side of a brand that you can't always grasp in a quickly um, written piece of content. But the good thing about video is it's easy to capture on a smartphone and it's easy to edit with all sorts of tools available these days. So you don't even really have to have a big budget, you know, for it. And let's see, you also mentioned voice assistants. Yes, big trend for sure uh, that I expect to continue. And I mean, like a lot of people, I was a bit skeptical of voice assistants when they first came out, but 
I'm pretty sure a day doesn't go by when I'm not talking to my girl Alexa, you know. So all of these tools are especially popular among the younger audience as well and one that brands need to keep looking at, investing in. Um, I expect to see that really grow in 2019. One of the most interesting things that I've seen in 2018 was with social media examiners decision to stop posting long form video to their Facebook and and just concentrate their video publishing to YouTube. Mike Stelzner and his team found that while people were viewing their long form content on YouTube, their Facebook viewing figures for a video's entirety had dropped massively. Do you think this is a trend that you've seen and and what do you expect to see happening around video in 2019? That's interesting, um, but that's really the beauty of performance measurement and why content producers should always analyze their distribution channels and decide which ones are right for the brand. Uh, You know, I know plenty of brands that are doing really well with Facebook video and plenty that are doing really well with YouTube. So I've seen others turn almost exclusively to LinkedIn. So you have to choose the channels that are best for your audience and really not try to be anywhere and everywhere, which I think is a mistake a lot of marketers make. You know, they they decide that they're going to do video and they, they want to get it out everywhere, but that might be a waste of time. And so I, I think it's great that Stelzner and team realized it and now they know where to put their efforts. And I also love that he shares that kind of information too, um, to help the community, you know, learn too. You know, maybe we all need to be looking a little closer at how well our videos are doing, whether they're on social media, um, you know, a traditional channel, or even just resident on a website and not even on a social channel. So that's the beauty of looking at your performance and analyzing it. Yeah, I I absolutely adore his video series, The Journey, which is where I actually found that information from a whole uh, video that he did episode of The Journey was dedicated to the fact that they were going to take their long form video off of Facebook and the reaction that he got from the people that view it. Now, I I confess, I've always watched it on YouTube. Um, That's just one of those things. The surprising thing was the fact that him coming out and saying, well, no one's actually watching the entirety of the video. They're, they're sort of dropping off after the first 30 seconds or so, I think was the uh, the analysis that he actually got back from Facebook's analytics. And I sort of thought, well, yeah, when I watch a video on Facebook, most of the time it's just, you know, a, a funny cat video or, or something like that. It's nothing that I would necessarily sit there and actually watch for more than a couple of minutes, I don't think. And I, I actually since then have found myself or, or caught myself doing exactly what he'd established through his analytics, which is anything that was longer than, say, two minutes. I've just gone, oh, right, I'm bored now. I'll just carry on and see what else is in my timeline rather than sitting there and watching the entire video. And yet when I watch any video on YouTube, I watch it in its entirety, including all the adverts that come on in between. And and I found it absolutely fascinating that I was doing exactly what the guys at Social Media Examiner had found. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I think it's sort of that sort of scroll mentality we have with, you know, Facebook and Instagram. You know, you don't necessarily spend too much time with each item. You just kind of scroll on through. But I think when you go to YouTube there, you know, you sort of go in with the idea that you're ready to watch videos. Now, I'm sure Facebook hopes that changes. um, But you know, it's just obviously not there right now for some brands. Yeah, I, I, the one thing that I sort of wondered about was was whether people are really using Facebook for finding business rather than 
what it was i suppose originally designed for which was to connect people socially a bit like a, a more modern friends reunited website and and it wasn't something that i necessarily was going on to find a business myself it was more to stay connected with friends and and, and family members that, that i don't live near to whereas linkedin is exactly for people to connect for business Right, right. Yeah. You know, I think we all struggled too at first when, um, you know, we, many of us started using Facebook for sharing photos of our kids or our vacations and that sort of thing. And then suddenly a few business contacts come into the mix and then a few more. And then you're like, oh, do I want to be sharing all this stuff with everybody? And so we all had to kind of rethink what is this page used for? What is our LinkedIn page used for? what about Instagram? What about, I mean, so it, it, they're all evolving, you know, and, and they all have good intents, but I think we're all learning to use them a little differently. And, and um, like I said, some, you know, Facebook video is working really well for a lot of brands, but YouTube also works really well for a lot of brands. And um, we just have to take the time to figure out which ones are working. Where is our audience? Where do they want to watch them and kind of go all in there. In an article by Caitlin Berkshire published by CMI, Caitlin says that live video is the way to go in 2019, as watching a recorded video means you're always watching the action after it happens, she says. Do you agree with that? That was there was a great piece, first of all, by Caitlin. And I definitely think live video will continue to grow in importance. It's something that we at the CMI brand care about. I mean, just for the first time this year, we had live video on our exhibit floor at Content Marketing World, and it was fantastic. But I don't necessarily think it's a replacement or an all-out replacement for recorded video. Um, In fact, we took that live streamed video and recorded it too, right? And we've used it elsewhere. We've put it on our YouTube page. You know, we've put it on social media, snippets of it. And so we're, we're kind of making the most of what we captured in a live environment. And, you know, like any piece of content, there can be a shelf life, right? So, and but not everybody can be there live to join you when you're ready to turn on the stream either. So, there are plenty of video formats that are highly effective that, uh, you know, marketers should be looking at. And, you know, I think as Caitlin also mentioned in her article, live video can be candid and honest and fun, probably more so when you ask someone to sit in a conference room that's quiet and use a highly scripted type of interview format. You know, it just doesn't have that kind of candid and an honest feel to it sometimes. So I I definitely um, see the you know the the wow factor of of a live streaming kind of scenario um, because nobody really wants that sterile conference room with a plant, right? <laughs> but but there's plenty of ways to use video to grab attention, and and live streaming is certainly a big one. The, the one question surrounding live video for me is whether people will actually go back and watch something that's now out of date. So if a live video happens, uh, I don't know, 2 p.m. in the afternoon and, and you're too busy at work or, or with the kids or whatever you're doing to get on there and watch it live, will, 
do you see people actually going back and you know four or five hours later and going I'm going to sit down and watch that live video now because you're not going to actually be interacting with the person that was doing it because that's happened already you you're kind of too late to the party almost yeah, you certainly lose the uh, interactive feel and, and and that feeling like the person that's on the other side live is talking to you. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I look at my own habits, right? I, I do. I sometimes do. Um, you know, when there are certain industry events going on that I can't attend in person, if they're live streaming their keynotes, I may or may not watch them live. But chances are I'll go back and watch them later. Maybe not the whole thing, but I'll go back and watch some of it later. And, you know, this this gets back to something we, we talked about a bit ago, too, is, is you kind of have to look at your performance metrics and see if you're getting the value out of that live video from the number of people who actually join you live. And are you getting additional value because people are willing to come back later? I mean, we see it with webinars, too you know, huge traffic on on on-demand webinars. You know, people will sign up knowing they can't be there the day that webinar is going to go live. But they go ahead and sign up because they want to get the on-demand link because it's something they want to watch later. So, you know, at the end of the day, it all depends on how good that video was in the first place. So if it's really great, people are more inclined to want to go back and watch it. But uh, I would study those metrics pretty carefully. mentioned earlier about how we've seen a, a drop with social media uh, in terms of being being used the, the research by conducted by Edison research um, but it's still the number one tool for content marketing the content marketing Institute in, in their survey still ranks it as the top tool I mean do you think that is going to just continue all the way through 2019 and beyond Oh, I think it'll stay, you know, a, a major tool. Um, I mean, despite the the sort of overall um, usage drop um, or, or even going a little bit flat for some of the social media sites, you know, there was such a sur- surge among marketers using social media this year. Um, I think it was about 61% of the B2B marketers we studied who increased their use of social media. I'm sure we're going to see that next year too. Um, it's it's certainly not going away. It's very effective uh, for sharing content as long as the content's great. Um, you know, as long as you can successfully engage and and give them something that's worth their time. So, um, I, I'm sure we'll see that trend continue into 2019. It's just the you know marketers have to kind of up the ante a little bit and and you know find ways to create content that stands out. I think that's what it all comes back to, isn't it, at the end? You make outstanding content, people will watch it, read it, listen to it. That's that's how it works. You've got to make good content for people to want to consume it in the first place. Absolutely. So over the last few months, I've heard marketeers talk about how people are no longer engaging with their emails. Of course, the introduction of GDPR has also had an effect with companies' contact list shrinking, for example. So is email marketing dead, or or do you think there's still hope for that? Oh, no, it's definitely not dead. (laughs) 
<laughs> not at all. Um, it's still, you know, used heavily by marketers for uh, nurturing customers and, and still highly effective. Um, GDPR, as well as other privacy initiatives like Castle, and, um, you know, most certainly have had an impact on brand email strategies, and it will continue. But I actually think it's for the greater good here. I mean, because why would any brand want to bug someone if that person didn't want to hear from you in the first place, you know? And it's forced everyone to kind of clean things up, uh, to put the attention back on earning the audience's attention and retain it with high quality content. So I think email marketing is very much alive and it'll continue to thrive. We're just all going to have to be smarter about, you know, paying attention to the privacy laws and respecting people's time. If they, if they want to hear from us, they'll accept the emails. If they don't, then we got to let them go. We'll take a short break now, but when we come back, Stephanie will look at other marketing tools like webinars, magazines, and podcasts. Tech Demand is a B2B platform who specialize in connecting organizations with their customers. Tech Demand create unique and engaging specialist content which is evergreen for generating campaign success. Visit the website tech-demand.com to discover how Tech Demand can help you. Welcome back. Before the break, Stephanie discussed how video will continue to rise as one of the most used and powerful tools in the content marketer's arsenal. Now the conversation turns towards my favourite marketing tool, podcasting. Commercially, podcasting is on the rise, but with B2B traditionally a couple of years behind the B2C world, I asked Stephanie how she sees podcasting developing for the content marketeer. Our annual benchmark research showed a huge increase in audio content, and it's been fun to see creative new podcasts come onto the scene, but and also other uses of audio. You know, for example, um, some brands will give you the option now of having an article read to you. I just listened to one last week uh, from Vanity Fair. I had actually picked up a magazine in the airport. I, and I, I read almost everything digitally, but I picked up a magazine in the airport didn't read the article I wanted to read while I was flying, brought the magazine home. It sat there for a couple of weeks. And I, I want to read that. I want to read that. And I just couldn't seem to find the time to sit down and read it. So I listened to it. And I was wrapping Christmas presents, you know. So it's a kind of a great way to use audio to help you multitask. Um, and I think we'll see lots of this in the future, too, as well as creative new podcasts. I mean, lots of brands are are trying to figure out what it is they you know, want to use a podcast channel for and how does that differ from what they're writing or maybe what they're doing with video or any other channel. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited about what's to come and I think we're going to see a lot of creative new activity next year. One of the things that we saw at the end of this year, 2018, was a Swedish podcast company, Acast, announced the introduction of personalized podcasting ads. The new system will combine advertiser messaging with data like the weather, time of day, location, show name, show category, even device type that the person's listening to. This personalization has already been in use within video advertisements on YouTube and Amazon shopping adverts popping up on websites everywhere you look. Uh, how smart do you see this kind of technology becoming, Stephanie? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I haven't actually heard that personalization in action myself yet, but I'm very intrigued by the strategy. And I, I think personalization is a trend we'll continue to see across 
lots of content distribution channels. Um, you know, for advertisers, it's certainly compelling to have more opportunities to tailor a message for someone based on their location or their listening purposes or other factors. Um, I mean, as a consumer myself, I've seen some really great examples of this. Uh, Amazon suggested something for me recently that was a perfect gift idea for someone. I was struggling to figure out what to get. And so I was thankful for that, right? I was thankful for that kind of personalization. You know, they, they knew enough about my habits and, and my shopping that this suggestion came up. And so to have this also in um, a podcasting format sounds very intriguing. It's one of the things that, that I'm most looking forward to sort of experiencing um, because a lot of the time when you when you turn a podcast on, you'll hear the same, uh, not necessarily the same adverts over and over again because the way that podcasting works with presenter reads being the most common type of advert, but it's usually for the same companies that you're hearing. So there's, there's a lot of adverts for mattress companies, for razor companies, for instance, mostly startup businesses. And it's one of those things where I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, I live in the Northwest of England. If I'm hearing about a company that is online, then that's brilliant. But if I get an advert coming up where, you know, it's for a business that's based in London or in the in the States, then it's not necessarily going to be something that I'm ever going to actually go and use or, or, or necessarily purchase their product or service. But if my podcast app knows that I'm in Manchester and also knows that it's raining and it can pop up and say, you know, right around the corner, there's a there's a store that sells umbrellas. Go there. Mm-hmm. That's going to be, uh, you know, game changing, really. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's fantastic. I mean, and and I think, you know, with other any kind of personalization effort, right? It's it's got to be right. It's got to, you know, it it has to know where you are. Uh, it has to know what you might be interested in based on some of your previous habits, because we've all seen it go wrong too, right? We've all gotten you know, we think you'd like this. And it has nothing to do with anything uh, that we would ever want to do. But um, but I, I think it's a fantastic business model. And I'm kind of excited to see it in action. I think the, the, the best example, we're recording this over the Christmas period, and where you, you've bought a present for somebody on Amazon, it's nothing to do with what you want. But then Amazon adverts start suggesting similar products to you for the next fortnight because that's what you've been looking for for a loved one or a friend it's always one of those amusing parts of of ai i think that it all it it sees that you've looked for a certain product but it it doesn't know why you've looked for it so it just keeps suggesting it yeah it's funny because i it's it has been so good for me at times and it's made me laugh at times yeah i recently they told me i might be interested in ivermectin for horses (laughs) i don't have horses i don't give medicine to horses so i don't know so sometimes it works but sometimes i just have to laugh A few years ago, uh, newspapers and magazines were all going online. Um, some British newspa- newspapers even saying that they were going to cease publication of their physical copies altogether in favour of their online copy. Um, this is yet to actually have come to fruition. I have yet to see a newspaper in the UK that is only online now. Even the latest edition of um, the, the iPaper, which is the, the latest national paper in the UK, 
that you still pick up a phys- physical copy at the news agents. But a lot of our listeners will have their own magazines that they circulate as part of their content marketing strategy. What does the next year have in store for them, do you think? Yeah, so to print or not to print, uh, it's a question that a lot of brands ask themselves. And and sometimes they take their cues from the traditional media. You know, you, you can see these big fat um, uh, fashion magazines come in the mail and then you can see, you know, others that just keep getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier each time. And then you start to think, wait, you know, is this really, is this really a viable option, you know, a viable business model? But um you know, I think there's some amazing branded and not branded magazines used in marketing now. Um, it's hard to measure performance, right, compared against digital content. But it really comes down to what your mission for a printed product is. You know, is it because you know your audience likes print? Maybe you've surveyed and you know they prefer print, perhaps. Or is it because you want print to be the place where you want to include long form content or Maybe it's thought leadership content. The key for deciding about print as a channel is to communicate with readers. Ask them what they like. You know, ask them how much of the magazine they read last month, if you already have one, or last week, or, or last quarter. And did they read it cover to cover? What was their favorite story, maybe, across a certain time period? Um, you know, getting that kind of feedback if you have a print product already or if you survey an audience because you think you want to have one, that's pretty critical. Um, I mean, there, there's certainly plenty of brands, including ones for the company that I work for, who have moved from print to digital for myriad reasons. And sometimes it's a desire to focus more on audio and video and interactive infographics and, and things that you just can't do with print. Or maybe they want to be able to show advertisers the return on investment. Or maybe it's just expensive, you know, to print and ship and it doesn't fit a sustainability goal. So it really come, it comes down to the overall content mission, you know. And, and I've said this before, and, and, and I'm a big believer that trying to be in all places and use all formats is rarely a good idea. You've got to find the best channels for your target audience in a way that ultimately brings value to your own business. And if print is part of that, then fantastic. There are so many great print magazines out there to learn from too. I don't have any facts to actually back up what I'm about to say, but I think one of the things from my perspective was maybe going, let's go back, I don't know, let's say five to 10 years ago, uh, people were looking at the next generation of people that were coming through and thinking that uh, so-called millennials, they they don't want the old-fashioned media anymore. Everything has to be online or a digital copy. And yet now, we're, we're kind of at that age where, where that, that younger generation are now in their mid-20s, early 30s. And uh, it's not that they're not interested in, in, in digital at all. Of course they are. But they're also interested in, in what they perceive as being the more, I suppose, old-fashioned ways of, of consuming their content. They, they still like to pick up a physical copy of a magazine or a newspaper. But at the same time, they'll be consuming their content on the go, on their phones and, 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 and on their tablets and things like that. I think it's almost, for me, a bit of a, a, a mishmash of, of what they want. So what you say about just finding out about what your audience wants, I think that is the key thing to take away from this. 
Yes, because you can see that pretty easily with digital content, right? You can see how many people are clicking on it. You can see how long they stick with it. You can see if they read something and then say, I want to unsubscribe. You know, I mean, there's a lot of data you can gather that tells you how you're doing, right? But you don't have that easily with print unless you're willing to go out and ask them. And I, I tell brands all the time, if, if a print product is part of your content marketing strategy, just make sure you're communicating with the audience who subscribes to it. Ask them at least once a year. Ask them questions about what they like, what they don't like, what they would you know, like to have that you're not providing now. And pick up the phone a few times. Call some, you know, some of these subscribers too and, and talk live to them because it's really the only way you're going to get the feedback you need unless people are actively writing to you, you know, after they read a magazine, you know, the, the, the letters to the editor, you know, as we used to call them in, in my magazine world, you know, we loved getting letters to the editor because they told us something they liked or didn't like, but that's not always easy to, uh, to get. So sometimes you have to go and ask for it. And let's talk about webinars then. They've been a great source of leads for B2B organizations. 2016 and 2017 saw a real boom in them. Uh, what do you think will happen to them now? Yeah, I expect they will continue to be highly popular. I mean, they are ideal ways to interact with an audience one hour at a time, typically. Um, you know, webinars offer opportunities for attendees to ask questions of the presenters uh, to provide feedback through polling questions, to share what they're learning live on social media even. And as a Legion tool, they're excellent. You know, I mean, I, I feel like when someone signs up or registers to participate in a webinar on a specific topic, and then they spend an hour of their day with you, it's generally a very qualified audience you're dealing with. And um, I'm really enjoying seeing some brands kind of mixing the format up a bit too, you know, bringing video into the mix or treating them more like talk shows, which is something I've seen LinkedIn do, or more thematic series of episodes, uh, something that I've seen a brand uh, like Divi HQ do. So the standard webinar format is changing in a lot of ways and, and should, you know, I mean, it, it's getting more creative and more interactive. Um, and I think, you know, webinars as a tool for lead gen will definitely be popular in the coming year and beyond. So as the general manager of the Content Marketing Institute, what do you personally want to see happen in the next year, Stephanie? Well, you know, we've got all of this great technology, you know, at our fingertips now and, and more innovative technology on the way. Um, so that's exciting. And I, I'm eager to learn more about that. Um, I'm also to see content, eager to see content become more creative, more empathetic, more unique, uh, even more entertaining, you know, that help brands earn attention and trust. And, you know, I feel like regardless of, of the industry you're in or the audience you're targeting, there are great stories to tell out there that can help your audience. So I'm, I'm looking for more of that creativity to come next year. I think that's one of the things that I've seen a lot of people talk about. Uh, the word empathy, I think Andy Crestedine has talked about that. You know, brands need to be really looking towards that relationship of trust between them and their prospects. And I personally think that that is what we're going to see really come to the fore in 2019 now. Yeah, it, it makes the brand 
become more human, right? And people like to do business with people and people like to feel connected. And uh, if you do a good job with that, then people will talk about your brand, you know, and, and they will share information about your brand. And that's better than any type of advertising you can get, right? <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think the companies are only going to be able to do this by having a niche, though? Is there going to be a, a, a chance that you'll be able to form that trusting, empathetic relationship if you're you're a big business brand that is basically wanting to go out and, 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 and look at many different areas? Well, you know, I mean, we feel pretty strongly in, in the world of content marketing that um, it's always best to try to find that target audience, not to try to be all things to all people, but really identify your target and do the best job you can at creating content for them. Now, you look at a big brand, they have multiple audiences. And so they need to approach it differently. And so, you know, the content brand group A does may not be the same as brand group B, may not be even the same types of channels, depending on what that target is. Because I mean, you look at you look at a large financial services company, I mean, they're dealing with, you know, people of all ages, all demographics, potentially globally. I mean, there are a lot of factors that will change the way they market their content to certain groups. And so, but the, the important thing is, is, is not trying to take a piece of content and think it's just going to work for everybody or that it should work for everybody. And you stand to succeed more and more quickly if you know what that special target is. My thanks to Stephanie Stahl. You can read Stephanie's article about what 2019 has in store at contentmarketinginstitute.com. Stay tuned to Tech Demand Weekly throughout the year as we bring you more insights into the world of content marketing every Wednesday. Thanks for listening and goodbye.